This copyrighted podcast is presented by the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council. The opinions and views shared by those of non-paid guests on the business of blueberries are those of our guests and do not represent the views, positions, or policies of the USHBC. The blueberry industry is like no other, passionate, resilient, and innovative. This podcast is your source for the latest information on the management, markets, research, and technology related to blueberry production. This is the business of blueberries. Here's your host, president of the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council, Casey Cronquist. Welcome back to another episode of The Business of Blueberries, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to the blueberry industry. Today, we're going to continue the theme of bringing back some of our most popular guests. In the past two episodes, you heard from Soren Bjorn. Today, we're going to bring back Noel Sakuma, who you heard from way back in episode seven. In fact, it has been one of our most popular episodes titled Mechanical Harvesting Technology. We'll put that in the show notes in case you want to go back and listen to that episode. Noel is a farm manager at Oregon Berry Packing. He's grown up in the industry, working on blueberry farms all along the West Coast. He also serves as the vice chair of the USHBC's Technology and Innovation Committee. We're going to be talking to him about farm-level technology and get Noel's perspective on what's working for him, what's not working for him, and what types of technology he'd like to see in the future. Noel, welcome back to the Business of Blueberries. Hey, Casey. Thanks for having me. It's uh, fun to be back on after seeing what this channel's been doing for the last year and a half or so. Well, it's been doing a lot. We hit a couple milestones since the last time you were on. And again, I think your episode was one of those that showed that the uh, podcast had a place in the industry. People really tuned in for that that episode and, and really wanting to you know, learn more about mechanical harvesting from somebody like yourself who's so passionate about it. So it's been a great format for us to communicate with the industry. And, and of course, having you back to kind of talk about how things have gone since we last spoke. So it's been a while since you were on that episode seven, but maybe you could refresh everybody a little bit more about your background. I, I provided a, a bit of an intro, but I think it'd be good for you to share in your own words, your experience and background in the blueberry industry. Yeah. Growing up on a family farm, uh, Sakuma Brothers uh, is my family up north and Picking berries since I was nine years old, going through the whole system, picking, checking, managing crews, uh, working the processing plant, going to college in uh, Iowa to get an ag degree, came back, worked for a writer in California for a few years, did a little on food safety, did a little bit on organic managing, then came up to Oregon and have been up at Oregon Berry Packing for the last six years being the farm manager. That's awesome. Well, just a quick shout out and note that uh, Jeff Malensky, our promotion committee chair, has been working very closely with him over my tenure here in the work we do in promoting blueberries and promotions here at USHBC. So for those who aren't familiar with Oregon Berry Packing, maybe you can tell everybody a little bit about that company. Yeah, we're a vertical company that uh, primarily focuses on uh, exporting fruit to Asia. Uh, we do a lot of domestic as well, but our main focus is export. So what that means for me as a farm manager is quality is everything because, you know, we're getting really high quality stuff to Japan, Korea. And in order for that to work, a lot of it goes on ocean. So it has to have legs, has to have quality, firmness, everything. And so that's what we pride ourselves in is just having some of the best quality fruit and, you know, shipping it to Asia primarily. 
And I think, you know, for those who are willing to make the effort, there is a lot of opportunity out there, you know, just touching on some of what Alicia Adler shared during our, our time up in the Oregon Blueberry Conference just recently, a couple episodes ago, that she talked about the work uh, we're doing on behalf of the industry to continue to open up those global markets for companies like yours. And really where the opportunity to grow markets in other places around the world, like the U.S. market, exist, you know, where people aren't as familiar with blueberries as they are here in the United States and what that means for blueberries in a global marketplace. So, you know, understanding what it takes, it does require an outsized commitment to those things that you were talking about for production purposes, for quality, being able to hit those marks, make the MRLs work, all those things that are just the extra effort that it takes to be able to export. But this is what you do as part of being the farm manager for Oregon Berry Packing. So what, do you just like the extra challenge? Is that what gets you up in the morning? You just want to be able to grow for export and be able to hit those numbers and be able to have that kind of fruit? I mean, what's in it for you? What motivates you to grow for export? Yeah, I I take pride in the quality to know that the fruit that I pick is the best of the best. So when we bring in fruit at Oregon Berry Packing, not 100% of it goes export, just the best quality stuff goes export. So it's a bit of a challenge every time I pick something and make sure, it, you know, I pick it at the right time. Everything's getting taken care of so that it really does get up to that standard. So I take it as kind of a personal challenge to see if I can get a higher percentage of my stuff to make it to that quality. Well, and I think your company, you know, does make its reputation on the quality. So whether it is domestic or export, but I think your passion for the vision of quality that can make it to export, it's not for everybody, but it can be done and it can be rewarding. But last time we talked about your experiences with mechanical harvesting for fresh, and we'll touch on that later in today's episode. But first, I thought we'd talk about your work with bumblebees. What prompted you to work or want to work on bumblebees? You know, technology really has a broad scope. And uh, I would say the advancement of allowing bumblebees in Oregon is actually on the forefront of technology. And, um, We know that bumblebees are more active when it's cold, when it's windy, when it's early or late. And a lot of these windows that we have are so narrow that, you know, if you have 10% of the day where bumblebees are active and honeybees aren't, the plausible upside is really huge. This last year, we had our first trial, and we didn't have a huge amount. I just kind of wanted to see, you know, when, when you go out to the fields without bumblebees, you'll see a bumblebee here or there. So I really wanted to just do a trial to make sure that I was seeing them in the volume that we wanted. It, it's a really hard thing to measure how effective bumblebees are when you have a lot of honeybees per acre. On average, we probably put out about six hives per acre. So it's a pretty large quantity per acre already. So it's really hard to quantify the bumblebees. So really the way to quantify it is you go out into the fields and look at where they're at when the honeybees aren't up and running yet. And I saw some really positive results on our first year. And I'm planning on going a lot bigger this upcoming year. What were some of those results specifically? Like when you say you were impressed with what you saw about half an hour in the morning before the honeybees are out and about, you would see the bumblebees. Or on a cloudy, windy day, when there's just not a bee in sight, you'd see the bumblebees flying around. We have uh, blueberries and we have black raspberries. 
which is a unique crop in the Northwest in Oregon primarily. And those have a much shorter bloom period. You might only have seven days for the entire black raspberry season. So it's for both blueberries and black raspberries to make sure you really hit those windows, assuming the worst case scenario where you just don't have the weather. You know, you could on a perfect pollinated year, the bumblebees might not be the best investment in the world. But on a year where you have four rainy days, five rainy days in a row with no pollination, they might be the difference between a bad year and an okay year. Well, and is that why you did it? Is you were hedging the bumblebee or were you just so interested in trying something different? I mean, what what was the motivating factor for getting interested in this? Uh, I would say both, honestly. I think that one of the factors on the bumblebees is that, you know, at the end of the year, they, you don't take them away. They kind of go into nature and, and hopefully over a decade of this, there will be a huge local bumblebee population that will be self-sufficient to a degree. But in addition to that, just, you know, our goal in farming is to create the best quality, most reliable product. And especially with export focused, we're putting so much money per acre in the chemicals and the fertilizer and everything else. And if you get 99% of the way there, but you don't get the pollination right due to weather, especially if you know that if you would have got the bumblebees in there ahead of time, it could have been a better situation. You know, that's, that's kind of the motivation behind it. That's fascinating. So where does this go from here in your mind? I mean, you say that the bumblebees don't go away. You're hoping that they self-sustain. So what does this project really look like in next year, two years from now? What are you managing exactly? You know, what I, how I see this is not to take away from the honeybees at all, but just to add a couple hives of bumblebees per acre. And over time, hopefully there's enough population that Maybe four or five years, you can actually back off that a little bit. But, you know, I think that it's so new in this region that I I just don't know exactly how well the populations will grow. And, you know, there's a lot of other factors involved, part of which is trying to get all of the weeds in the aisles cleared out. So when you do the insecticide sprays, you don't kill all of them. And there's just some basic management things that we need to be doing to, you know, take care of the bumblebees so you can grow those populations. I think that there's a lot of potential value there. And, um, you know, if we can increase the quality of our fruit across the board in the U.S., it's a win for all of us. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's take a quick break here for our crop report. We're nearing the transition from our Southern Hemisphere production to our North American season. So as Florida kicks off, I know many of you appreciated hearing these weekly updates from our colleagues in South America throughout the off season. So here, once again, is your blueberry crop report. It's time for your blueberry crop report, an update on crop conditions and markets from important blueberry growing areas. Today, you'll hear from Ken Patterson in Florida, Luis Vegas in Peru, and Andres Armstrong in Chile. This was recorded on March 16th, 2022. Well, hello, everybody. Since last week, Florida has had an onslaught of rain and then close to freezing temperatures last Sunday morning. Some farms are reporting between four and six inches of rain in the past seven days. The rain has certainly slowed down the harvest temporarily. The blowing freeze that came through Florida only affected the northernmost part with temperatures as low as 30 degrees in the cold areas. But after talking around to other growers, it appeared that everybody survived it quite well with minimal or no damage at all. 
picking has resumed this week in South and Central Florida. They will be harvesting daily with their peak probably starting in about one to two weeks. The consensus is there will not be a sharp peak this year, but probably just a plateau. Uh, in another two weeks, it'll mean steady production on a daily basis for the next four, maybe even five weeks. North Florida was scheduled to start harvesting last Friday, but due to the rainy conditions and then the freeze, uh, it's going to end up uh, beginning probably tomorrow or the next day. The general consensus is that we are still a little earlier than normal here in Florida. And because of the shortfall in the market with Georgia and North Carolina having freeze damage from last week, Florida will probably have the opportunity to pick all of its fruit for the fresh market with the high demand. Even though I still do not have a number from the USDA on the movement, Florida is probably close to 2 million pounds at this point. Just anecdotally, what I've been hearing firsthand and secondhand, Georgia didn't fare nearly as well as Florida did. I don't want to throw any figures out there, but they suffered substantial damage, especially on their early crop. And I know that most of their rabbit eyes have no freeze protection whatsoever. So they were really hung out there. They took a big whack at that. So that is my report from Florida. Hello, this is Andres Armstrong from the Chilean Blueberry Committee with a Chilean crop report as of March 13. Last week, we had the last few pounds of fresh blueberry being exported from Chile. The season is already done, and this will be our last report. The accumulated volume exported to all markets reached this season 236 million pounds, which is a 9% less compared to the 260 million pounds that Chile exported last season. With no doubt, the 9% decrease is a consequence of a major selection of fruit made in Chile in order to face the difficulties experienced by the industry in the logistic chain. In terms of market, the major decrease compared to the previous season was observed in the US with 13% less volume as the major logistic problems were found in that market. In terms of market share, 50% of the volume went to the US, 36% to Europe, 11% to Asia, and 2% to Canada. The remaining 1% went to Latin America and the Middle East. I would like to thank the NABC for the opportunity to participate in these crop reports and inform to the industry directly on the evolution of the season. Good morning. This is Luis with the crop report from Peru up until the end of week 10. So up until week 10 of, of season 2021-2022 for Peru, have shipped a total of 486 million pounds of fresh blueberries worldwide, representing a growth of 37% in volume versus the previous season, season 2020-2021. From this overall volume, 55% has been shipped to the US. During week 10, a total of 1.5 million pounds were shipped. 70% of this volume was shipped to the US with a, around 1 million pounds, which are expected to arrive the US market during the last week of March. So that's the crop report for Peru up until the end of week 10. Thank you. Well, thanks so much to our busy growers who take the time to participate in these reports. As a friendly reminder, you can go to the new USHBC website where you'll find our data and insight center to see more of the data of what's happening in the blueberry industry. 
We've added a lot more features to this dashboard, including the USDA shipping price and movement information, retail category performance, Nielsen monthly retail sales reports, and much, much more. So please take a moment to go to ushbc.org forward slash data to check that out. Let's go back to our featured conversation now with Noel Sakuma. Noel, the last time you were on the show, we talked about mechanical harvesting for fresh. And so, of course, I'm sure our audience was really interested to hear more, basically an update on the journey you've been on and you know, the ability for our industry to continue to mechanize in order to harvest uh, essentially a fresh quality berry. Where are you on that? And, and how are we doing as an industry from your perspective on getting to that point? So in the Northwest, uh, everyone's aware that we had a very difficult year this last year. The heat dome in uh, my region hit 117 degrees, and it was just really brutal to everything out there. And so uh, machine harvesting for fresh was a little different this year. Some of the areas that we actually utilized it the most on were spots that actually had quite a bit of damage on the field. A lot of the fields had half the field pretty damaged, and the other half was actually still pretty good, depending on uh, the row direction. And so with that, we were able to actually take the machine and machine pick for fresh half the row and then send the other half to juice. And that allowed us to make great use out of a field that otherwise was almost unharvestable. So. We actually had some pretty unique niche successes in that area. In general, we did a lot more machine harvesting on the front end because with the heat, there wasn't enough labor. There was too much fruit coming in at all the same time. And it really required us to get some machines in there in order to allow our crews to get through the fields. And so we were really needing to get in there early in order to make sure we had the quality for machine pick for fresh while at the same time allowing time for our crews to get through the fields so in a year like this having basically a second crew available to take care of the fresh was incredibly beneficial to us however when we got to the mid to late season there were so many people throwing machines in haphazardly that the quality in the market just went down so much that it was actually harder to make machine pick for fresh work in the mid to late season. So at the end of the day, I would encourage everyone to kind of make sure we're doing the right things on this machine, that we're not picking when it's too hot. And I would really encourage as many people to try to get any kind of soft, fresh kit on any machine, because it really is a game changer. So that is one of the things we talked about last time was kind of the soft catch system. But this season was more difficult to judge overall success, but you're still saying that having it was better than not having it in terms of a new technology for machine harvesting? I think that we would have not even tried to machine harvest anything without the fresh kit this year. Every pound that went into the market this year was on the fresh kit. And as of this year, we don't bring in any machine pick for fresh unless it's picked with fresh kit. And so 100% of what we bring in is under that because we have done the testing primarily last year. We did all the testing to show the difference. And we had trial after trial showing when you cut the fruit open, there was just a significant difference on the front and on the back end. I would say that the success of machine harvesting this year 
was as much with our machine on the field as it was with Brian Malinsky's on the back room with the Cato's. But between the vertical integration with his company of being able to kick with some of the best technology available and process with the best technology available allowed us to really do a good job of getting this fruit to where it needed to be. Well, that is encouraging. I know just generally speaking, you know, after the heat dome and some of the reports, of course, in that region at the time, it was nice to see, in fact, what I think you're describing, which was, you know, some bounce back from some of those initial reports about how bad it was going to be. And good to see some of that kind of recovery of the crop over that same period of the summer and kind of the after the pick report that you're describing being somewhat shared by others. Certainly some of the crop was heavily damaged and not able to be harvested, but it sounded like you and others were able to go in and tackle that challenge and still come out on the other end with some good examples of success. Yeah. And one of the big factors on, you know, the Oxbow Fresh Kit is there wasn't too many big changes from last year to this year as far as technology. And there was a couple just uh, quick changes, but it was really fundamentally the same technology. And, you know, I talked to Oxbow pretty frequently that at the end of the day, this is a moving target. We're not at the peak performance. We're not at the best case scenario, but we have a good technology. One example on the other side is we had a grower try to utilize the fresh kit and due to user error, you know, issues that we had, it, it kind of broke pretty quick. And then the same thing kind of happened to us on our first day last year with the fresh kit is if you don't do everything right, you can actually have issues with the fresh kit where things break pretty easily. However, when you know what you're doing, we got to the end of this year with almost zero damage to the fresh kit, which was really encouraging to see that the materials really are standing up over time. And so that's been really cool to see, actually. That is encouraging. We're going to take a quick break here for our marketing boost. We'll be right back to this conversation in a moment. But for now, here is USHBC NABC Vice President of Marketing and Communications, Jennifer Sparks. Thanks, Casey. Here we are right in the thick of March, National Nutrition Month, during which this year the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics theme is Celebrate a World of Flavors. Nothing fits this bill better than blueberries, and USHBC is using this campaign to encourage creating fearlessly nutritious meals and snacks that fit into individual lifestyles, honor cultural foods and traditions, and cater to varying taste preferences. Both fresh and frozen blueberries are being highlighted as a smart way to amplify both flavor and nutrition in meals and snacks and provide benefit to a variety of eating patterns and life stages. Blueberries are being prominently emphasized throughout the month through a variety of channels and programs, including e-blasts and blog posts featuring a combination of health-focused and globally-oriented recipes. Key content driven through our Blue Crew ambassadors and collaboration with nutrition and wellness influencers to extend the reach of the blueberry message. Partnership with the Academy's Smart Brief, eBlast, distributed to health professionals nationwide. Key posts and stories on our own social media platforms at Blueberries on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. And of course, we're utilizing the credibility of earned media, pitching to top-tier media outlets to generate news. This media effort has already resulted in news publications such as Eating Well, Tasting Table, Eat This Not That, MSN, and Yahoo Lifestyle, with those last two placements garnering 64 million 
and 149 million impressions, respectively. How are you capitalizing on National Nutrition Month to promote blueberries? It's not too late, and there are tools right at your fingertips at ushbc.org slash nutritionmonth. This has been your Marketing Boost. Thank you for your partnership, as together we inspire the world to grab a boost to blue. Casey, back to you. Thanks, Jenny. Well, I wanted to also just see if we could pick your brain a little bit about what other opportunities you see for new technology that may help our industry. So as I know you think about these things uh, like you do with the mechanical harvesting, but as you look forward from here, and certainly as we talk as a committee and your new role as the vice chair of that committee, but what else do you see as those new opportunities for technology in our industry? Yeah, I think that one of them that is arguable whether it's technology or not is new varieties. I think that right now we're at a very unique time where there's a lot of new varieties coming through the pipeline. And if you are having the same varieties in the ground, besides Duke, in the next you know five to 10 years, and you're not upgrading, you're going to be in a bad spot. And I think that it's all connected, whether it's for export, for machine harvest, for all of this with varieties, because right now we don't export any of our machine pick for fresh fruit. It's just our quality standard is for export and for machine pick are just not at the same point at this point in time. However, you know, the goal and the dream is with these new varieties as they come out, that that might change theoretically, you know. And at the end of the day, Fall Creek has all of their new collection varieties out. And then all, there's all the proprietary ones, the Driscoll's, the Fall Creek, uh, Sequoia, all of these ones that are really coming down the pipeline that are going to change the face of the blueberry world in a very positive way. You know, you see what happens with apples, with grapes over time. That's happened with blueberries in a really big way. And if you aren't looking at changing and upgrading in the next couple of years, you know, the technology of the variety in the ground will become obsolete. And I think that's a major factor of where we're heading. Well, so just on that point, your thoughts about the development of the Southern high bush versus the Northern high bush in order for growers to be able to keep up with the expectations of quality and changing varieties is an issue. So what's your sense of how growers address those challenges, depending on where they're, what region they're growing in? Looking at what Fall Creek in particular is doing right now, I actually think it's pretty competitive with anywhere in the world. A few years back, uh, Jeff Malinsky and I went to Australia and we were looking at some of the breeding that was going on over there. And it was incredibly encouraging to see what blueberries can theoretically do. And I feel as though the new varieties that are coming out are now matching what we saw over there. And the benefit that we have is we're the highest producing region in the world. And so if you can match the quality with the yield potential, I would argue that we already have the best area in the world to grow. And now if we have the varieties to match the best quality in the world with the best volume in the world, all of a sudden it's just going to be a no-brainer where the world's going to get their fruit. And with these new varieties, it comes through with machine harvest ability where not only do the new varieties have the quality, they also have the size, the firmness, and fewer picks. So we are being very aggressive about pulling out our acres of varieties that we don't think have a future. You know, the prime examples is Aurora right now, 
where we have great Aurora fields that are doing 10 ton an acre, but there's so many picks and the bloom goes away so quick that we're just kind of moving away from it. And so at the end of the day, one of the questions that I have to ask myself often is when I'm putting a new acres into the ground, are they the best or are they just the best for that time period? And Elliot was the best in its time period. Aurora was the best in its time period, you know, being late season. And Last Call is now the best in its time period. And Last Call is a great variety. The quality is exactly where we need it to be. However, it's a four, five, six pick berry. And, you know, going into the future with labor, that's just not where we want it to be. And so all these new varieties are a two to three pick berry with higher yields and better quality, at least on paper. And now we have test plants in the ground to test it, but we're, we're really excited about where this is all going. Well, that's encouraging. I know probably for those listening and knowing that at our Tampa conference, we spent a lot of time on flavor, uh, flavor being a point of differentiation amongst varieties, but also for marketing purposes and what consumers' experiences are with blueberries. And so I think you've struck on something that, you know, we see as technology going into uh, the breeding industry and the production of the new varieties. But as a company who's vertically integrated, do you look at technology differently because you're vertically integrated? When it comes to things like varieties and anything that can improve the quality of the berry, when you know your name's going to be attached to that clamshell, it really gives double benefit to any new technology that can improve that. And so, you know, a new variety, all of a sudden, if you put your name on something that is just beautiful, new, tastes better than anything else, then a vertical company can take advantage of that way more than a, just an individual grower can. And so any technology that can improve quality is completely different in a vertical company. The other pieces of technology are labor savings. And those you'd probably think pretty similarly if you're vertical or not. But anything that touches on that quality piece is definitely something that we're going to look at in a different way. Well, as you think about going forward from here, or maybe you already have things that you've got cooking, but are there other projects or trials that you're working on that you'd like to share? You know, at the end of the day, we see technologies come through these podcasts and other things that I'm very excited to look at, but I haven't seen much in real life. So, you know, the number one is the burrow technology of getting something out in the field that can help reduce labor. It's, it's, this is all a labor game as we go forward. Is how can we reduce labor? How can we cut costs? And any way to get fruit from the field to getting packed quicker more efficiently is is going to be a game changer. And so back a few years ago, I tried to increase efficiency by building carts for my crew based on seeing some in different regions around the world. And it, it was a difficult thing to actually get people to utilize them. And it honestly wasn't much of a success, even though the carts were pretty nice that we built. And so I have concerns about actually changing cultures in the fields to utilize these technologies. But at the end of the day, we just need to get our hands on some of these and try to move forward in that region. And really, anything that's self-driving is, in my mind, maybe a couple years away. But anything in that area, I'm really excited about. 
So obviously we've seen tractors and sprayers that are autonomous. And I think that's going to change the game of farming. And I think that that's something I'm eagerly waiting for, you know, starting with mowing and moving towards spraying and all that stuff. I think that's going to be, you know, as a young farmer, that's something that I personally think is going to come through in three to five years. We've had Gary Thompson on who walked us through the, the Gus, which they've got the mini Gus and uh, you know, it's, that future is here. Again, I can see where uh, you might want to let a couple other industries trial it first before we put them into the blueberry fields. But, but yeah, it's exciting to see some of this stuff come forward and it'll be exciting to kind of follow along again with your journey on, on which ones you pick to implement and being able to bring you back onto the show and talk about what it is you're finding in value. So is there anything else before I let you go that you'd like to share with our blueberry growers, you know, about assessing or adopting new technologies? I'd go back to the machine harvesters and just kind of reiterate that at the end of the day, if anybody, you know, produces subpar fruit, it affects all of us. And so, you know, I'd encourage everyone to look into the new technologies around fresh kits, whoever is doing it. You know, I work closely with Oxbow and I think that they're very high quality, but anybody who is looking towards fresh kits, I think that it's going to be incredibly important going forward. And, you know, just the basic things around don't pick when it's too hot and get the fruit cooled quick. I think those factors, if you can get the fresh kit, don't pick when it's too hot and get it the cooler quick, it's going to do wonders for our market. And I think that at the end of the day, a better market means happier consumers, which means more throughput. And really, we all win. That's right. Well, hey, as always, it's a pleasure to sit down with you. I know our audience appreciates hearing from another grower and just kind of getting some insights on how you see technology now and going into the future. You know, I appreciate your optimism for what you see going forward, both in technology and for the marketplace and your work in exports. So keep up the good work and we'll have you back on the show. Cool. Thank you so much, Casey. It was good talking to you. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week with more innovation, collaboration, family, and hard work right here on the Business of Blueberries.